0: Hey folks, this is To Know the Land, broadcasting from the Treaty Territories of the Mississauga of the Credit on 93.3 FM at the University of Guelph. Maybe you're listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It's a show about our connection with the land base, how we listen to the land, how we learn about the land, how we interact with the land. My name is Byron, and today I want to focus on a group of plants, a genus of plants that I care a lot about, that I've learned a lot from and continue to learn from, and it means a lot to me. It means so much to me that I already recorded this episode once, but I decided to try again because there was so much more that I actually wanted to say. This genus is Amelanchier or Amelanchier or however else you want to pronounce it, common names well, there's a whole list of common names. There's a ton of common names. Serviceberry, Shadbush, Juneberry, Saskatoonberry. It goes on and on and on. I think I read one source that said there's 80 common names, or they found up to 80 common names. It's a wonderful plant. I've, I've hung out with it a lot. Um, they mean a lot to me. So I just wanted to dig in a little bit on where this plant plant likes to grow, some small details about ID, and then think of like share some experiences that I've had with this plant as well in hopes to to celebrate and to honor this plant. And that's part of my agreement. If I'm gonna harvest from a plant, I have to tell the stories that I've learned or that I've experienced with this plant. And that's just how it goes. So this is my, this is me holding up my end. So I'm going to start with Shrubs of Ontario uh, by James H. Soper and Margaret L. Hamburger. And uh, this is a really good book. It was put out by the Royal Ontario Museum. Um, When was it put out? It was put out in 1982. 1980. I wasn't even alive. Um, And it's I'm going to read this. It's the beginning of the rose section. So it's Amelanchier. Small trees or shrubs, sometimes growing in clumps, as a result of suckering or in continuous patches by the spreading of underground stolons. Stems unarmed and usually slender. Leaves are alternate and simple. The margins serrate with fine coarse teeth. Pardon me, fine to coarse teeth. The flowers are white, five-parted in... Often in showy racemes, the fruit is a berry-like palm, sometimes juicy and edible. Seeds can be one to ten. Amelanchier, a name said to be derived from the common name of a European species, possibly the French word amelancier, used in southern France. So that's just from shrubs of Ontario. and I've heard that amelanchier might be derivative of some sort of phrase for tastes like honey. And honeyberry is another name for this, even though I've heard the name honeyberry used for hascaps, which are in the honeysuckle family. So honeyberry for a honeysuckle family seems a bit more appropriate than for the Saskatoons. But I want to get into the name lore in a second. I just want to cover some of these ID features that are pretty... Pretty helpful to understand who the plant is. Again, uh, it's in the rose family. So we have five petals, white petals. And I think that they all, as far as I've seen, all are long petals. And if you can imagine like a choke cherry, taking that petal and stretching it out. And as a result of getting longer, it gets thinner. It's five long, thin petals. And uh, on some of the varieties that I like, The sepals underneath, the five sepals underneath are fuzzy, and and that's one way, I guess, people differentiate between species, but the species hybridize all the time, so it's kind of tricky to tell them apart. But, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just about eating them, enjoying them. Um, Some of the habitat that the plant exists in is, is forest understory or the forest edges as well. I've seen them in both. Sand plains, rocky cliffs, fence rows, municipal plantings—I've seen a lot of municipal plantings in my city, the city of Guelph. There's a ton; they plant them everywhere. The fruit is ripe between late June and July. Um, I'm really interested in seeds and finding seeds in scat to differentiate species when I find them, and. I found some seeds today, I'll get to that soon, but the seeds are about four to 4.3 millimeters long. They're dark, dark maroony red, brownish almost, uh, quarter moon shaped with rounded edges, sometimes with a slight and faint hook quality to them. Uh, Each fruit I've seen Each fruit that I've seen and looked at, it's about two to five seeds, but some species may contain up to 10. And yeah, I I love this plant. They get a nice, they start green, and then they start to fade, and they get a bright red, and then they fade to a dark blackish purple. And that blackish purple is so pronounced in my mind. Uh, Last year, last June, I bought a new bike nice dark purple bike and I bought it in June so I named the bike Juneberry after after the berries. I just really enjoy them so I thought it would be important to do that um, Again, they don't get really big they they're they're, shr- they're shrubs most commonly although they can be trees and I have found a few trees of the species that are very very large and have gotten quite quite big. Um, maybe up to 12 feet tall. Maybe more than that. Yeah, I would say much more than that, some of them. Um, and often in limestoney areas, areas, uh, I've seen it like that. I've seen one long one on the edge of an old mill pond. One on the edge of a cliff. And some in cedar forests just trying to make their way to the, to, through the canopy, through the cedar canopy to get out the light. But... They are amazing, amazing shrubs. And they've got a lot of associates, a lot of families, uh, members that are closely related, lots of various species. But I'm just going to read some from The Book of Forest and Thicket by John Eastman because he describes things in a very simple and good way. Shrubs are small trees in the woods. Thickets, edges, uh, shad bushes, one of their other names, have twos to alternate leaves. Clusters of white flowers in early spring and small dark blue, purple, apple-like fruits. though very small, very soft. Foliage colors often deep blue-green. Botanists disagree whether there are many species or simply many variable and hybridized forms. Two of the most common recognized species are the Allegheny or Smooth Juneberry, uh, Amelanchia or Amelanchia or amelanchier, I heard all those names, amelanchier lavis, or the downy juneberry, amelanchier arborea. Um, those spectacular white flowers, shaped like five-bladed propellers, appearing on the edge of a forest understory shrubs before hardly a leaf unfolds in spring, are probably the shadbush blooms. Flowers are bisexual and insect-pollinated, producing clusters of Blueberry-colored palms in the summer. I would say even darker than that, more purple. I'll show you some photos on, on the on the website and wherever else you're listening to this. Shard bushes, slow-growing and relatively long-lived, are quite moisture and shade-tolerant, occupying a wide range of dry to mesic habitats. A few species also occupy swamps and wet woods. Note the long, pointed buds and often two-tone red-green t- with two-tone red and green twisted tips. Warm weather and late fall sometimes causes the new spring buds to flush out prematurely. The bark, remember, resembles that of American hornbeam. I may get back to this book because I want to talk about some of the associates, some of the animals and 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 uh, fungi and. Other plants that maybe interact with this, with this plant, all of its community. But I just wanted to start telling a couple of stories about my interactions with this plant. Um, I love this plant a lot, and there's a few individuals in in my city, in the city of Guelph, that I know about, that I go out to and I visit all the time. There are some individuals in the city that we know, my friends and I, we can name. The ones, because everybody knows they taste terrible. I don't know why they, they taste terrible, but maybe it's a strange happening due to their hybridization. But um, maybe maybe not. Maybe that's just that species. But the ones that we do know, the ones that we do like a lot, I I, I really like. And I've, I went to visit some today. It's their season for fruiting. So I went to looking and... I think a lot of the birds have already gotten them, but it was great to go visit one of these favorite individuals. And one thing I like to do again when you when you eat from something, when you take from something, is to give back in a way. And with this, one of my favorite individuals, we tried to propagate the plant, and we tried an experiment of marcotting or air layering. And what that is is, um. Maybe taking a plastic bag or a old margin container, yogurt container, whatever you use, and cutting it open, filling it full of soil, and then getting it a bit damp um, so that when you could squish out that soil, uh, water doesn't really drip out, but just at that point where it's maybe just about to drip out, and then setting that aside, going up to the plant, finding a branch on the plant that's maybe about the size of a thumb or larger, maybe not too much larger, but just about the size of a thumb, maybe about two centimeters. And finding one actually that could be pruned off. Like if this plant continues to grow, maybe it would grow in a way that would block out a lot of airflow or that would start choking off another branch or inhibit some sort of growth somewhere else. So if you choose wisely, you can pick a great branch that should come off or could come off anyways through pruning as if you were pruning it. What you do is you find a small section of that branch and you take off the bark and you wrap your larger container, your yogurt container, your plastic bag full of soil around that new wound that you've created and you... Package it up maybe with like cellophane or tape or string I've used um, around the branch to hold it tight and make sure that the soil doesn't fall out. And you leave it for a couple of months. And if all goes well, and I have to admit it hasn't gone well sometimes, but when it does go well, roots start growing into that container of soil that you've placed there. And you can come along in two months prune off that branch just below your container and so that now you have a container with a branch sticking out the other end, probably with leaves still intact, with roots growing into that container. So you've just made a clone of that tree and you can plant it out. And we planted it out in our backyard and when we moved, we had we moved it to my partner's uh, land farm project and it's growing well there. It's doing really well, and the roots were large and intact, and we pretty much just made a clone. If you think of layering, it's just like layering as you would into the soil, except for you're doing it up on a, a plant that doesn't normally layer like that. And this is just a way that has worked for us to propagate, to share this plant, to give it more life, to spread it around as a way to just say thank you to the plant. and. I, I think that that's so important i get so excited about these plants that i want to share them i last week last week i was out doing this uh sort of corporate team building thing leading it with with another person and as we were wandering through the woods we came across the berries and they were not ripe yet they were just part way still bright red not getting dark and i got so excited i was just tasting a couple of them there was they were, I, they were not too sweet yet, but like I like that part. And other people were tasting them and spitting them out, but they were still good in my mind and they were just delicious. And I really appreciated just finding them in the woods. Um, I like these plants so much that one time I, ha- I asked a friend who's good at uh, GIS and open source information, made me a map of all the city municipal plantings of of amelanchier plants in the city of Guelph. So I have a map of where all of them were up to a certain point. And so I can go look and I have gone around town to each one of these trees or as many as I could find from the map and tasted them, checked out how they were growing. Some of them were growing uh, on roadsides, on boulevards, and they just weren't that good. Some were in parks and they were much better but i just really really appreciate these plants and how important they are and to their environment to to my community of human beings to the more than human world and i think that when we eat something it builds relationship in a very particular way which i really appreciate especially when that edible is shared by many species and there's a lot of species that share this plant. Like there's, there's a big list. Where did I put that list? I made, I got a list here. Um, American Wildlife and Plants, a Guide to Wildlife Food Habits by Martin Zim and Nelson, published in 1951. I'm just gonna make a small list of the, some of the animals that feed on Emily Cheer. Rough grouse, a pheasant, Eastern bluebird, cardinal catbird, chickadee, crow, flicker, grosbeaks, jays, mockingbirds, orioles, robins, tanagers, thrashers, thrushes, um, tufted titmouse, towies, cedar waxwings, woodpeckers, and then for like the mammals, it's black bears, beavers, red fox, uh, groundhogs, skunks, flying squirrels, red squirrels, uh, chipmunks. Saw a lot of chipmunks today around them. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, mice and voles, uh, rats, deer, and supposedly the the moose even feed on the foliage. And so I, I maybe there's something there for them. And yeah, I feel like if we can learn how to share these, these, these plants with other animals, I think it connects us in a deeper way. And I think edibles can connect us in a deeper way because of that. Today, when I was out with my partner, um, we were looking for other plants, but I was looking for the here, and I found some robin scat and I looked at the robin scat and it was full of serviceberry seeds, absolutely full. And so what I did was I collected some of it and put it in my pocket and I'm going to try and grow it out. I have it wrapped up in a little, a piece of a paper bag from what we had with us. And I'm going to try and plant it out and see if it works, see if I can propagate the seeds and grow them later. I'm hoping I can. I've never done it before, but I'm going to try. In the in the book, Growing Trees from Seed, A Practical Guide to Growing Native Trees, Vines and Shrubs by Henry Coke which is on Firefly Books, they published it. Uh, they have this little write-up on Juneberry and Serviceberry that I wanted to read and then get into the propagation section. The genus i like with some 20 species in the Northern Hemisphere, reaches its greatest diversity in the Great Lakes region and the northeastern U.S. Yet most of the species are not available in the cultural trade. The species are specialists for the most part, each occupying a range from dry, open meadows to moist, well-drained, open woodlands. The perfect flowers are pollinated by native bees as well as European honeybees. Annual crops of fruit ripen from the late June to late July and most are quickly devoured by robins, catbirds, and cedar waxwings. Natural germination takes place the following spring in relatively cool soils. Significant numbers of seedlings may be found under large old trees where the seeds have passed through the digestive systems of birds that have spent several days feeding in the same tree. The flowers and the mature form of several serviceberry species are relatively distinct for each region, and every author seems to devise his or her own species characterization based on these differences. Confusion occurs because the genus is beset with hybridization, species complexes, and changing botanical and common names. The common names for Amelanchier read like a phone book. Serviceberry, Juneberry, Shadbush, Saskatoon, Mountain Juneberry, Smooth Serviceberry, Allegheny Serviceberry, Sarvis, Sugar Plum, and more. The Amelanchiae bloom in mid-May as the leaves are unfolding. This is an excellent time to try and identify this group. The white flowers are showy, are so showy that this is also the best time to locate plants in your area for later seed collecting. In the seed collecting and propagation part, this is this is what I want to get at. How do we encourage the plants that we love? How do we support them in good ways? The berries of most Amelanchier species are very tasty, despite the large seeds and persistent sepals. The fruit is often difficult to obtain because it is devoured by cedar waxwings and other birds just as it turns red and begins to soften, well before it is fully ripe. Fruit maturation is progressive through each cluster, starting at or near the base and a week or two later in the berries at the end of the cluster. There are usually one to four seeds in each berry, but some have as many as ten. Handpick only the fruits that have become red and swollen, or fully ripe and purplish. Mature red berries will ripen over the next few days and if left at room temperature in an open container. Fresh fruit can be cleaned in the grit bag, but keep in mind that the seeds are not very tough. The very plump, dark brown, healthy seeds are readily distinguished from the thin, light brown aborted seeds. Occasionally, both, from the, th- occasionally both. Filled and emptied seed will float to the top of the container. Stir a few drops of liquid detergent in the pulp to break the surface tension and allow the filled seeds to sink. You can sow clean seeds right away or dry and store the seeds, but dried berries stored be- store better. Dry the fruits by spreading them out on a newspaper until they are no longer fleshy and then place them in dry, cold storage for stratification starting in January. Seeds from dried berries can be extracted in two ways. Crush the dried berries with a rubber mallet and hand sort the seeds or soak them for 24 hours and then clean them in the grit bag. Clean seeds are placed in cold stratification for four months. As in most members of the rose family, radical emergence takes place in the cold. So after three months, you should check for germination weekly. Once radical emergence has occurred, or the four months have elapsed, the seeds should be planted. Seeds are planted in clay pot or you, or seed frame eight, one-eighth to one-third of an inch apart, depending on the number of seeds you have. Summer sown seeds should be covered with leaf mulch through the winter, but remember to remove it mid-April. Spring-planted, stratified seed only need to be kept moist. Germination is rapid in warm conditions, producing three to four inch seedlings in the first year. In two years, they will be up to 10 inches tall and can be teased apart and planted into nursery the following spring. They survive transplanting well as long as the buds have not yet started to swell. Plants that are several years old are best moved in the fall. The suckering species can be divided, but divisions must be cut down to just above the ground level to be successful. Rabbits, mice, and deer really go for amalanchia. You will need to protect your seedlings until they are well established. Plants that have been severely debarked in the winter should be cut down to sprout from the base again. The amalanchia are well suited to gardens but difficult to establish in natural areas where herbivores may destroy young plants. So I'm going to try and use these seeds from the robins and hope that it's successful. I don't I don't know if it will be. Again, I've never done this before, but I'm gonna try this year and just see if it helps. Because, you know, I, I I do like them so much. And again, with anything that we appreciate and enjoy, people, our pets, our plants, we need as as our affinity with them grows, we get to know them more. And then as we get to know them more, we want to do more to support them, to help them thrive. So that's what's important to me, helping these these plants thrive that I care about so much. I want to read one last part. Actually, I'm going to, pardon me, I'm going to read from John Eastman because his Forest and Thicket book, Trees and Shrubs and Wildflowers of Eastern North America, has a pretty good write-up that I don't want to miss. And it's just, I'm going to read Uh, the associates and the lore section because those are some of my favorite sections of this book and they're short in spring flowers are pollinated mainly by the earliest small bees of spring, notably the various adrenid and halictid species. Peak hatching of the destructive gypsy moth coincides with shadbush flowering. These caterpillars feed on shadbushes along with many other species in summer. The swollen, distorted fruits and twigs marked with powdery fungal outgrowths represent the fruiting stage of a a gymnosporangium rust. Its alternate host is the red cedar. I'm just going to stop right there for a second. Where I live in the south end of Guelph, uh, where I live in Guelph, in the south end, there are so many of these trees, of these shrubs, that are full of June berries that have this orange fungal growth, like orange spikes with white tenderly or white, uh, almost filamentous hairs growing out of the orange spikes. And that's the gymnosporangium, um, the cedar apple rust. And it, it affects a lot of the roses and it doesn't affect its co-host, uh, The red cedar, eastern red cedar, Juniperus virginiana, Juniperus virginiana. That's it. Um, Well, actually, I shouldn't say it because I have seen it before on the Juniperus virginiana. It gets these also long, like octopus leg, kind of orange, gooey tendrils that I don't see very often. Definitely not as much as the infections on on the shad bush on the service berries. But I do see it once in a while. And I guess it just gets passed back and forth between them. And it only happens when those two plants are together. And so, I mean, I can imagine my own relationships that have been very similar where this bad vibe just gets passed back and forth between me and the other person I'm with. It doesn't seem to affect the rest of the plant much. I do see the orange powdery fungal growth on the leaves sometimes, along with like a powdery mildew, but it doesn't seem to affect it or harm it in any way that I notice because the trees or the shrubs look fine. They they don't look to be in ill health. Yeah, so I'm curious about its deeper lasting effects. Back to the book. Broad mines in the leaves may indicate larval feeding from shad bush leaf miner, a tiny moth. At least 22 bird species relish on shadbush fruits. Prominent feeders include various hermit thrushes, grey catbirds, cedar waxwings, and northern orioles. Among the 11 or more mammal species that feed on its fruit bark and twigs are black bears, beavers, fox, red squirrels, white-tailed deer, and moose. Lore. Few plants have provided such a widely used seasonal clock as shadbushes, a function reflected in many of their common names. On the eastern seaboard, colonial fishermen timed the spawning runs of shad fish by the flowering of this plant. Shad bush flowering also marked the time of burial services for colonists who had died during the winter, hence service berry. In our own day, foresters beleaguered with the gypsy moth outbreaks also used this clock. Fruits of many species are sweet and tasty. A few, though not harmful, are dry and tasteless. I'm going to stop there for one second. Some of them taste gross. There's a few individuals, maybe I've said this already, but some of them do taste gross. The ones that I can think of in town here, they taste like chewing on a cigarette butt. There's a couple downtown Guelph. There's some at the University of Guelph Arboretum. Just saying. It's very few and far between. I have not tasted many that taste like this, but... It must be something in the genes. Some indigenous folks used them abundantly for food. The Crees dried and mixed them with venison and bear meat to make pemmican. Take some June berries with you was a common farewell among the Chippewas. They and other tribes also mixed decoctions of root and bark for medicinal tonics. Shadbush berries are among the most overlooked and neglected wild fruits. They can be used in a way that one would use the fruit of blueberries. Thomas Alpo in Botany a Day describes a medicinal quality of the fruit being a laxative. And I can imagine for some folks with, you know, maybe different digestive systems, eating too much of any fruit could be a laxative. And I could imagine this one as well. So that could be one medicinal consideration, but I personally have not experienced that. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope that me sort of celebrating and sharing about this tree, the shrub that I really like, this fruit, helps other people get excited about it. It helps other people appreciate it and then maybe start their own efforts towards propagation and spreading the love for this plant. Uh, There's a song that I sing, again, when harvesting. You know, uh, The the words are like, I may come and cut you down when the light is low, but I'll tend to thee, I'll spread your seed, so that all will know. And I too will tell the tales when the light is low, that I too have been told and shown, so that all will know. And what those lines are, pretty much, I'm going to collect i'm going to harvest but i'm going to share everything i've learned and know and share my appreciation and i'm going to spread the seeds around i'm going to try and propagate i'm going to try and help this plant to grow and i think that's that's how we can be in a reciprocal relationship that's how we can follow good protocols with these plants we can celebrate them we can harvest them imagine in my neck of the world instead of canada day celebrations we had uh, Saskatoon berry celebrations, Juneberry celebrations, you know, ones that supported the birds and other life forms instead of some of the practices that we have now that might actually be harmful to wildlife. Yeah, I wonder different ways of being. Imagine, imagine areas where these, these shad bushes, these service berries were growing thick in the forest. I read one report from uh, an old, uh Roman Catholic missionary and he was describing forests full of walnuts, shad bush, uh what's what's that one? Oh now I'm forgetting that big nut tree that is gone now because I'm brain farting. Chestnut. American chestnut full of uh, walnut, American chestnut, amalancare, and now we don't have those forests. but imagine those forests again. Imagine uh, black walnut and amalancare forests with, with maple and you know like harvesting from the ground layer of like raspberries and maybe some elder at the edges along the water. You know, like if we can visualize uh, what it would look like to support these plants into the future, what would it look like to imagine them into the future, and what we could do to support that from ha- to, to to happen? Yeah, but that's enough of me. If you want to learn more about the show or about the resources that I used that I draw drew from, um, I read from Shrubs of Ontario. American wildlife and plants growing trees from seed and for uh, the book of forest and thicket I'll have links to these on the website to know the you can also email me if you have any questions to know the land at gmail.com you can check out the instagram at to know the land yeah yeah and people write to me. I know this, it weird. it's weird, it's surprising to me that people actually write to me about the show. They, they listen, they write emails. Feel free, if you ever want to be in touch, again, to land at gmail.com. Write to me, give me feedback, give me ideas. This show has only improved because people have offered suggestions over email. So I'm really grateful for that. Leave a comment on the website. Leave a comment on Instagram. Whatever works for you. Um, another way you can help out is you can give a donation. It's www. forward slash donate. And there's uh, you can become a patron on the Patreon account, or you can donate through PayPal. And those really help. So that's an option too if you want to support the show. Or you can just email me and tell me how much you like the show. That also goes a long way. Thank you to all those who are supporting already. And yeah, that's it. That's all. Take care.